0: Thanks for joining us on an episode of Being Second Best. We're trying to encourage and equip all second chair leaders within the church. That goes for the youth pastor, associate pastor, children's director, janitor, greeting team, you name it. We're here to encourage. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy our conversation today. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Howdy. (laughs) An episode of Being Second Best. David's back with us, and uh, despite our laughing and joking, we're going to talk about something way less enjoyable to talk about. This is my confession. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about confession and accountability. Uh, just with a lot of stuff happening in our world today, kind of seems like it's something fresh on a lot of church folks' minds, so we're going to tackle it. David?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So I think there's two aspects of confession that uh, scripture talks about. It tells us that uh, if we confess our sins to the Lord, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. Uh, So we want to confess to the Lord. But then in James, it tells us that if we confess our sins one to another uh, for healing. And so if we want to heal and grow and move past our sins, uh, then we need more than just Pray about it. And move on. We need to talk to our friends about it. We need to talk to people about it. Uh, some people might need to talk to a priest. That's not how I do it. Uh, Me either. <laughs> but uh, but it's very essential to the to the your walk as a Christian that you're dealing with your sin continually. Uh, you know, um, what's the Puritan guy? John? John Owens. Owens. I was gonna say John Edwards, which is also correct. Also Puritan, but not the the. Quote I wanted. John Owens said, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And, and this is a, a really every day you need to be confessing sins because the reality is we choose our own way every day.
0: Yeah. And confession, I think, is something that uh, used to be really a huge part of the Sunday church experience. Like a lot of traditional church liturgies began with. Uh, a song or psalm of confession uh, you, you look back at a lot of uh, Presbyterian and Puritan Liturgies and they begin with Confession as a way to enter into The worship service together as a church uh, And I think just just a theory But my theory is that Confession kind of slid to the back burner In church uh, With kind of the introduction of the Quote unquote seeker sensitive Church movement which is No, 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 like we want people who aren't Christians to come to church, and then we can introduce them to Jesus, and then we'll deal with their sin. Uh, When really, church is meant to be, from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning the gathering of believers. And so confession was a normal part of church because it was supposed to be church folks, Christians, confessing their sins to God and holding each other accountable in their Sunday liturgy. And now we see church often as an evangelism tool. And so if you don't understand that concept, go back and listen to our previous episode where we talked about the difference between evangelism uh, and outreach and what the church's job is in that. And so we're not going to rehash that, but I, I think that's part of it because I think um, if we're not seeing church as a place for believers to be believers and grow in Christ— then confession is not going to be at the forefront of our minds.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, what's popular today to try to account for the lack of confession is to do small groups. But I I really, my experience with small groups is that uh, they live and die on whether or not they can get personal enough that they get to confession, Mm -hmm. that they get to accountability. Uh, But there's this assumption that if you just get a small enough group of people, they'll let their guard down. Uh, but we don't really just teach the importance of confession anymore. I don't
0: I do think. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, from a pastoral perspective, like serving in ministry, uh, I think it used to be commonplace for pastors to address their own failings and shortcomings. Uh, and so that's something I strive to do in my teaching when I teach and preach on a Sunday morning is to be able to say, hey, this isn't you failing at this and me telling you to do better. This is me failing just like you at doing this and the Bible teaching us to do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think most pastors won't admit their failings and shortcomings, which brings us to really what's kind of started this conversation uh, is kind of what we've seen in the last six months, specifically with Carl Lentz at Hillsong, New York, and Ravi Zacharias, um, where you've got a pastor who has no accountability, and doesn't confess his sins to the church, and deal with shortcomings, and his shortcomings
1: dealt with him.
0: Yeah, you know he gets busted and comes out that, you know he's been cheating on his wife with an atheist. <laughs> above all the things like not even you see a lot of times, pastors end up with an, with affairs with folks in their own churches. The secretary. Yeah, somebody like that that they they have a close <clears throat> biblical relationship with that they develop feelings and stuff. This one was some lady he met in town at, like, a coffee shop who was not even a believer. And that was part of why it was good for him. <laughs> you know, like, that was part of the, the thing he liked about it, that he didn't have to be Pastor Carl. He could just be his own sinful self, which is a whole glaring thing in itself. And what we see is a difference in a couple different scenarios. But with him, is that he's kind of made justifications for it since then of well, you know, I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety, and I had all these struggles and I didn't have anyone I could go and talk to about it. Well, there's, there's where the confession begins and should have been happening before it gets to this big, grandiose affair that we find out about. I think uh, before it got to that, if, if he would have been confessing and dealing with it, been able to say, man, yeah, I, I struggle with depression and I struggle with anxiety, I need help, and the church didn't he didn't feel like the church could say, sorry, you're not fit for this job anymore, bye, because you deal with the same stuff we deal with, then maybe this stuff could have been dealt with.
1: Well, and I want to say something, but uh, then I want to clarify that doesn't necessarily mean what you assume. Um, I do think that there's a problem that cancel culture has affected the church too, and it's real easy to just write off someone who's sinned, but I also think the church doesn't do a good job of Making sure someone's qualified before they put them in a position, and I think we we exalt men to a position, just asking them to fall. Um, and uh, you know, when when we look at uh, Ravi Zacharias, uh, this guy he wasn't a part of any church; he was just running his own ministry. Uh, and he, if you don't know, he he had two massage parlors. What is a uh, apologetics? Pat, what would you even call that position that he had? Uh, Christian writer and apologist, yeah. Um, well, what business does he have owning? Well, it's his secret getaway. You know, it's just a place. He did, had inappropriate interactions there. I don't want to get into the details. Um, and and so, yes, he's disqualified. And the, the sad thing about his situation is he passed away, and we never got to see repentance, so it's hard. Um, but... The, the, this should be our goal is to see repentance from people not them fall from grace, you know yeah, the that, fall what, isn't what a, the goal Well, yeah, what a strange phrase yeah, fall from grace I, like grace isn't sufficient all of a sudden yeah, it, that is a
0: weird terminology and I guess I've never really thought about that but like, it is like, and that's a good reminder that I've had to wrestle through in the last couple of weeks with this um because I, I try not to toot the horn of too many theologians because I know they're fallible people. But when Ravi Zacharias died, I, I posted and talked about the profound effect that his teachings on apologetics had on my worldview as a Christian. Um, and so there was kind of this little spiral happening in my own head of like, is everything he say not adequate? And I have to come back to understand that A... God's grace is sufficient for every sin and sinner. And so we won't know until eternity where any of these people stood really with God. We can make assumptions about their life. We could say, yeah, he didn't have a chance to repent on earth. Maybe he's in heaven. Or we could say he didn't have a chance to repent on earth. Or he did have a chance before he died, and he never did. And so he's unrepentant. Perhaps he never really was truly a Christian. I don't know. But we know that grace covers sin... If the person is truly a believer in Christ, we we don't get to judge. I don't get to know that in this life. But I do get to know that no matter what he said or did as a, as a human being, if what he wrote in books and taught on aligns with Scripture, then it's not his opinion. It's the truth of Scripture. Because we can say the same thing about a guy like Martin Luther, who, I mean, the Protestant church has so much to think Martin Luther for But a lot of people don't realize that Martin Luther At the end of his life got pretty anti-semitic And wrote some pretty raunchy things Hitler
1: quoted Luther
0: Yeah Hitler was a Luther fan Uh, And so No one is No one is Above Crashing and burning in their faith Without understanding that grace Is still sufficient for the sinner Even in their sin
1: Yeah um so this past week i uh was uh teaching through uh we're going through numbers and i had to teach balaam and there's a couple of things in that story that are very relevant Uh, one balaam is a bad guy but he's really the first specific prophecy about the messiah we have we have uh some prophecies that allude to and that we can say okay when jesus or when god tells uh Eve in the garden that this her offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. We can say that's a messianic prophecy, but Balaam says that there's going to be a scepter that comes out of Israel, and there's going to be a star, and uh, and and it's a very specific uh, prophecy. And he's he's a bad guy, and God used him, and he said some true stuff. And the reality is whether or not what they say is true is based on whether or not it's God's word. And Balaam was instructed by God to only speak what God says, which would be God's word. Now another another part of that story was uh the very first time uh Balak so Balak hires Balaam to try to curse the people of Israel. He's scared. They're coming into the promised land and he says they're gonna lick us up like cows lick up the grass. I think that's a cool line. But uh and uh um Balak Balak, I don't care how you say it, um uh, he takes Balaam up on a mountain, has him see the people. and then Balaam, instead of cursing, he says a blessing and the very he does it three different times. And the first blessing, he talks about how these are a people that are set apart. and he says that God sees no iniquity in them, which is strange because most of numbers is about the iniquity of the Israelites. Yeah. And then he says, God sees no iniquity. Well, because we know that they sacrifice mm-hmm. and they ask, forgiveness for their sins their sins are atoned for through a system and uh and that's what the difference we're set apart from the world not because we don't sin but because we repent of sin
0: yeah we see the same thing in the story of david where david is repeatedly referred to as a man after god's own heart but i mean we're talking about a guy who his sin begins before he ever sleeps with Bathsheba. Like, his sin begins when it says, at a time when kings were away to war, David's at home, who's already gotten lazy. Second, he's on his roof looking over his town and village and sees her showering, doesn't look away, instead sends people to go get her. Then he sleeps with her. Then he tries to get her husband drunk so that he'll sleep with her so that he can think that the baby is his. And then he, when that doesn't work, he has not murdered. <laughs> plenty, but,
1: of pl- yeah, plenty of
0: opportunities on that road. Yeah, plenty of opportunities to make the turnaround there, but he doesn't. Well, why is he a man after God's own heart? Why is David a central heroic figure in the the whole story of redemption? And why is he such a big deal in the lineage of Christ? Well, he repents. We see that. We read the book of Psalms and see where David has really low moments of lament over his own sin and repentance for the thing he's done. We see, even in the story of Bathsheba, where Nathan calls him out and he says, you know what? You're right. And then he says to God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Then our sin first comes sinning against God before we ever sin against mankind. And so... All of these issues we see with people, we we can judge or look from the outside in, but the big component is, is the repentance. And a big thing for us and a learning curve for us is, how do we repent? How do we stop from repeating these things? And how do we deal with them here on earth? And I think that's what we're talking about, which is confessing them.
1: Yeah, so... We, one, we need to confess in prayer. Uh, we need to confess to the Lord. Uh, and that's an easy one because he knows. It's mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not like you're trying to hide. But sometimes we can convince ourselves that we can get away from God. Just like Jonah. We think we can outrun our sin uh, and that the Lord's not going to catch up with us. Uh, and the reality is he doesn't have to catch up with us. He's ahead of us already. Um, so yeah, one aspect that we do need, we need to, in our prayer life, we need to constantly be, uh, in fact, I believe that it makes no sense to pray unless you confess your sin, because this is a fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if I want my prayers to avail, I need to be righteous. And the only way to do that is to get my sin forgiven. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, um, and then, uh, We want to confess our sins one to another uh, for healing. And I think we see this in the Lord's Prayer. There's like uh, two different styles of of reference there. So it says, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And then it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I I think there's there's two parts. There's not just our sin in the way it affects God, but then we've also got our trespasses and how they affect everyone else, and so forgive us, and we need to forgive. But like, the my function in the body requires that everyone else knows what's going on in my life and how to help and how to uh, cover for my weaknesses, uh, and that's something that I think is just missing in most bodies.
0: Yeah, it, because the key component of repenting and confessing to one another is so that healing and reconciliation can come about. So if you've sinned against someone, you have to reconcile that. God calls us ministers of reconciliation, and then it brings healing and reconciliation when we deal with things, even when people didn't know. So for me, if I've got an issue with someone in my heart, I still have to deal with that because it's, whether anyone knows it or not, it's creating a barrier of enmity between me and that other person. Um, and so confession is a big deal because then it brings us to a point where now things are in the open. Healing can happen and accountability can happen because it's easy to look back and say, man, those people just didn't do. So that's why they failed. Well, not like we're just as guilty. Like I can think about things I struggle and deal with that. I need folks to hold me accountable. Uh, and so I think there needs to be like a, a system to that or a ring to that. And I know like for David and I, we have uh, a handful of youth pastor, pastor friends that we hang out with pretty regularly. And we can say, man, I'm this is making me mad. This is making me angry. This is what I'm annoyed with. These are the things I'm struggling with and get help with that stuff. And then I think it's beneficial a lot of times to get accountability from folks, especially if you're serving in ministry who – are a part of your ministry and then folks who aren't a part of your ministry because sometimes things that make you frustrated or deal with anger or jealousy are only going to grow that in the people that are around you in the same body of Christ in the same church setting and you don't want to create more strife you want to deal with the strife and so sometimes it's good to be able to say to someone who's not in your ministry context I mean these are the things I'm struggling with <laughs> and they can say yeah you need to deal with that so that you and your pastor don't dislike each other or that you and your music director don't dislike each other or that the kids' ministry director doesn't secretly put things in the youth room uh, that make kids freak out, you know, like like doesn't sabotage you because they're annoyed with you or to promote kids from fifth grade early because they're pains in the butt, you know, like stuff like that. Uh, You just got to deal with it. And I think in doing that, you need to have spheres of influence around you that can call you on your stuff. Uh, I think I forgot who said it one time when they said every person needs an errand to lift your arms when you're tired, and everyone needs uh, like a lightning rod to ground you and bring you back to earth when you get too high on yourself. Uh, and I think that's accurate. You need people who will come underneath you and hold your arms and press you to endure and push forward. And then you need other people to say, "Hey, check yourself because you're acting like an idiot."
1: one i, I think one, one last thought for me uh, is if we look at uh, church discipline and and the way the bible lays it out for us that we we go to our brother if our brother's wronged us, we go to them and we essentially we're seeking confession and repentance from them that's the goal and then it says if if they uh, if they won't hear you then you come back with two or, or three witnesses and, and this is where I, th- I think a lot of people get this wrong because they're like, once you've went to them, now you can tattletale. But you're still going to the person and you're just taking witnesses, not now I can tell other people and get them to do it deal with it. Damn. and But the whole time, the goal is confession and repentance. Over and over and over, it's, I want you to repent, I want you to repent. And the reason that church discipline is so uncomfortable in our churches is it only fits in a culture of repentance. And I think that's not how I would classify our churches today. Mm-hmm. Repentance is is uh, an oft-overlooked necessity in the life of a believer.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's all I got for today. David, you want to send us
1: out? Second best, still need to confess and repent. <laughs>